This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Pentecost, so let's take a closer look. Technically, we're talking about the Feast of Weeks, because that's what it was called before it was Pentecost. Okay. The Feast of Weeks is the second festival, second pilgrimage festival of three in Judaism. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Feast of Weeks celebrates um, the first week of the wheat harvest. Okay. It just so happens to be the perfect amount of days after Jesus' resurrection. Mm. And every all the Jewish people are being faithful to gather together in celebration of the feast. Right. And Pentecost happens. Right. So technically, we're talking about the Feast of Weeks uh, or Feast of Pentecost if you're, you know, you can Pentecost is the way it's more commonly known now, but that's what it was previously. Mm. So we're talking about the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I told you, the Holy Spirit is like the main theme of the right. book of Acts. Right. Like the way in which the work of Jesus continues without Jesus via the Holy Spirit. That's like the thesis of the book. Right. And Pentecost is the moment where the spirit is given. Mm-hmm. And if you've been around church very long, you're going to have heard this story. Yeah. Um, everyone begins to speak in tongues. It's a little weird, a little strange. <laughs> Nothing like this had happened before type deal. Correct. And it's that very thing that I want to hit on. I think it's that thing at at the time we're recording this. I've not recorded the story yet, but based on my prep, this is where I think it's going to go. The reason that nothing like this has ever happened before, and we'll get there in a minute, but the text says in Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Okay, before we continue on, there are two things I want you to know. First and foremost, that wind and fire are common markers of theophanies. Mm. common or commonly when God appears, when God reveals himself, um, wind and fire are in the midst. So think back to when God reveals himself to Moses, right? The burning bush. Think back to the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night Mm -hmm. as God directs them. Think back to Elijah calling down fire from heaven. Um, Think back to Isaiah. Yeah. um, And his call, touch me from a man of unclean lips, Mm. touch them with a coal. Fire and wind metaphors are all around theophanies. Right. Very common theme. 
So when you see them, you should think God. Yeah. And seeing them in the context of the Holy Spirit, you should think divine, like divinity. So this is a moment where God is revealing himself. I think that's the main markers here. And in his revelation, like the moment in which he is outpouring his spirit, the revelation that he chooses to give is one of language. Right. It should not be lost on us that it's language. Now, I actually, I need to say, scholars are split on this, mm-hmm. and maybe not even split. I may be in the minority on this. Um, I think this is God revealing himself. If you remember, Matthew's genealogy goes back through Abraham. But Luke's genealogy, do you remember where it goes back to? I don't. It goes all the way back to Adam. Mm. The story of Israel undoubtedly begins with the patriarchs. Mm. Genesis chapter 12 with um, Abraham. Well, let's look back through the rest uh, or the beginning stages of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11. Yeah. What happens? God creates the world. Um, God creates humanity. Humanity turns against God. And death in has fact, entered the world. sin and death have entered the world. And then you have the flood. And then you have the Tower of Babel. Yeah, you have total destruction and then rebuilding and then dispersion it's kind of how that worked i don't i guess i don't understand what you mean so total destruction at the flood okay it is rebuilt and then the tower of babel everyone disperses okay yeah fair uh yeah that's a fair way to do that but what of those have not been fulfilled in jesus like what if 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 the end of the story must resolve the problems created in the first Jesus coming from Abraham and the story of Israel beginning with Abraham means that Genesis 12 on is kosher mm-hmm. we're good Genesis 1 through 11 still need fulfillment they still need restoration for the things that happened there okay sin and death are accomplished in the cross and resurrection the Noah story is actually like redeemed in the baptismal narrative because now God will never destroy the earth again by water. Mm-hmm. In fact, repentance comes through water. Mm-hmm. But you're left with one. The Tower of Babel yeah. is never redeemed. Fair enough. This is a moment where the Tower of Babel is redeemed. Huh. Because what happens is it's humanity's own pursuit of power Mm -hmm. that forces God's hand in giving them different languages and separating them. 
Yeah. And so it's their pursuit of power that forces that. And God's redemption of that moment is to give them power in a different way, but to give them back power. And in giving them power, gives them a voice back for the purpose of proclaiming the correct power. Mm. They used their singular voice in order to pursue and attain power Mm -hmm. by trying to build a building that would reach to the heavens. Mm -hmm. God says, no, 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 I can't let you do that. But God is still a God of redemption. And so God chooses in this moment to give them power and give them back their voice, not a singular voice, but a supernatural voice, one that is a voice among voices, Mm -hmm. a voice that supersedes all voices or a singular heavenly divine voice that can be understood by any nation for the purpose of proclamation of the power of the gospel. Mm. That's literally the entire thing. If, If we looked through the Old Testament the last piece we're waiting to be redeemed is Babel. And we get it here. Mm. It's a good perspective. I've never thought about it that way. Um, I feel like I say that all the time, though. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah, but I I haven't ever thought thought about Pentecost or this happening, this event in Christian history being a a way to fulfill or restore um, the Tower of Babel. Well, it's it's redeeming something that was also messed up because of sin and death. Right. Right? As we, that is the first sin, Mm -hmm. is that they are trying to be like God. That is a power ascent. Um, And so in the power ascent... In the power ascent, they end up losing their voice. Right. And so God must redeem that. If if we believe that God is redeemer mm-hmm. and that God must redeem everything that has been broken or right. fractured. He has to redeem language. Then God has to redeem language. Yeah. And he does that by giving us the language of the spirit. Correct. It That makes logical sense. Like that makes it, it makes sense whenever you connect the biblical story together. Yes, you have to be able to think back and put it together like a puzzle. Yeah, one thousand percent, you do. So this is how the rest of this section continues. Now they were devout Jews from every nation under heaven, living in Jerusalem, and at this and at this sound. The crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and resident Mesopotamia, or residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus 
Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. I think everything about this, number one, I mean, that's a massive list of people and diversity and yeah. languages. I mean, at some point, so many different cultures. And- at some points, they're just claiming regions. Yeah. And a region can have multiple languages within it. Mm-hmm. And so it is this moment where, and even, even Luke engages back in a power conversation. In verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. What is God's deed of power? Like if you were going to sum up God's deed of power, if God only had one deed of power, what is it? What are we defining a deed of power? Like the thing that gives God power. Or like the most powerful monumental moment or action that God has ever done. Create. No, it's Jesus. Like that is the deed of power, right? The whole inverted power structure, especially in Luke's gospel, like as a, a Luke, the narrator of Luke Acts, it's absolutely Jesus. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. And so that's the whole point, right? And think back to in the opening section, power versus witness, power and martyr. Like everything's still being set up as an inverted power system. Right. And so God shows up and he says, hey, once again, or Luke is setting it up in my opinion, hey, remember when you were in pursuit of power and that pursuit of power got you no languages or got you a bunch of languages? Well, now here we are. I'm going to give you myself. Mm-hmm. I'm literally going to give you more divinity. Mm-hmm. And that divinity is going to negate. It's going to redeem language back. You will now be able to understand via one language, each to their own native language, right? The one that's most personal and deep to me. I, hearing it in my own native language is the most intimate that I could ever hear something, right? So I'm going to hear it all in my own native language, but it doesn't matter because I'm communicating a heavenly language so I can come across these diversity lines again. And it's for the purpose of proclaiming, of speaking God's deeds of power. Talking about Jesus. Talking about the acts of Jesus, the redemption found in Jesus. Interesting. If if there were ever a moment in my mind where you could point to and go, this is this is the moment of ultimate inclusivity. Where exclusion is no longer a piece of the conversation. That if there were ever a moment where the most people are included in a single scene, 
It's this one. Because there, at this point, you've got no mention of gender, but surely you have to imagine that there's multiple genders. We later find out that we're in a pretty public setting with um, 120 Christians plus at least 3,000 people who get saved. Right. Not to include the rest of the people that are around that don't get saved. Mm. This is a pretty public setting. Yeah. And everyone hears everything in their own native language. Right. The language that is intimate and near and dear to them in their heart. The the most If you haven't studied other languages well, I think it might be difficult to understand this, but when you study other other languages, you realize how different they are. Yeah. And and how different speaking them feels. Yeah. And there's a reason that we call people foreigners. Mm-hmm. Because even using the language feels foreign. Right. The way words are constructed, the way grammar happens, syntax, everything, it feels foreign. You feel disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that it's called the mother tongue, yeah. right? That it's deep to us. It It's it's a piece of the core of our being yeah. to hear language in our native tongue. Mm-hmm. And so for God to show up in this way, that all of these nations, people groups hear the proclamation of God's deeds of power in their own tongue. In their own tongue means no one is excluded. Well, no one is a foreigner any longer. Right. We're all back to one. Mm. But we're not back to one in a way that we are organically one. We are divinely redeemed as one because they're all, they still have their own languages. They all have their own native language. We didn't make one hodgepodge singular language. Right. God gave a divine language that could be heard in each's own native tongue. Yeah. There's no longer exclusion because there's no longer an inner circle. Everyone's on equal playing grounds in this moment of redemption. Right. Everyone's on equal footing because God has shown up and revealed himself in a way where the last piece of the puzzle we were missing, literally the last piece of the puzzle that we're waiting, like major moment throughout the biblical narrative that we're waiting on to be redeemed is Babel. Like, it's the only one that hasn't been redeemed. Maybe if you want to count, like, John 1. Right. um, But nobody's thinking in those terms by the first Pentecost. Yeah. So that's the piece that we've been waiting on. And God shows up in this moment to redeem this. And his act of redemption, his, his theophany, his revealing of himself is one of communication extravagant inclusive redemption yeah that all these people from 
very vast corners of the known world. Yeah. Yeah. All these people get the privilege of hearing of God's deeds of power, the message of the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus and his sacrifice and his love in their own native tongue because God did a supernatural act both in Jesus and in the communication of that to a point where the inclusive nature of the gospel is revealed at our most corest and deepest part of ourselves, the language we use to speak to those closest to us.